hours before the silos the last two uh, silos I guess they were bound to collapse there were a lot of journalists filming and we were standing late at night must have been around 11 11 30 yeah, it was around 11 p.m. 11 p.m. and the fire was raging I know and it was like heartbreaking heartbreaking we're standing right next to each other by chance Milhim Khalaf is next to you and we're seeing things unfold that we're seeing what I described then as really I thought the, the death of the country and you were careful to offer some perspective you were not as bleak Milhim Khalaf I think was far more optimistic in that we're going to move on from this but uh, I saw something ending in front of me so let's start there how did you see that night and we can even go into the the very strange ride we shared yes <laughs> so I'll, I'll let you bring this to life a bit because I'd like to hear it from you and how you saw it yeah so I have been watching the fire for a month and a half when we met it was it started July 7 2022 yeah when the fire started to show outside the silos, even though there was a little fire inside the silos. But it intensified because it picked up this chimney effect and started going more and more every night. And the first silos also came down. Yes. Right. On August 4 itself. And on August 4, coincidentally and surprisingly, And so I have been going down and watching them close because I have this privilege, let's say, quote unquote, to actually force my way into ground zero Mm. because they cannot stop me as an MP. Right. And so I have been asking the Ministry of Environment, the Ministry of Health, and the Ministry of Public Works to be ready to bring the dust down by spraying water in case the silos fall Mm. and also to put recommendations to people on how to protect themselves in case the silos bring out on their fall a lot of dust. And this was my main concern when you saw me at 11 p.m. going and watching the silos burning and being so worried that they will fall down and we won't have enough people from the fire brigades and and all the, uh, you know, firefighters ready to spray the silos or the dust coming out down. And we were also very, uh, I don't want to surprise, disappointed from the lack of initiatives that the government was able to come up with in order to put out the fire. Despite our repetitive pleas, Milham and I, to actually ask the government to do something about this and not let people, like you said, you felt like the country was dead and a lot of people felt the same way too. And this feeling of helplessness was killing me. And it was killing Milham Khalaf at the same time because he's a man of law. He's a man of finding solution through laws. 
And I'm a person who needs to find solutions for environmental problems. And so together we were like, you know, watching this unfolding in front of our eyes and feeling really the sense of helplessness. And, and this was like burning inside our hearts, inside our minds. And, and this is what pushed us to say, let's go down, even if it was too dangerous, too risky to actually go and watch, watch them closer. And, and this is what I asked Milham to do. He said, you know, we have this pass, we have yes. this amnesty. Uh, 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 what do they call it? I'm not sure. Almost, I mean, you're, you are, you have access now yeah. to this dangerous part of the city exactly which is i think i mean for me it was like you i was going every day but on my own just yeah. watching watching from far away watching literally from where i saw you yes. at the highway sort of where <laughs> all of us in a way know that that scene which is it looks like a nightmare right and at night it's quite uh it's apocalyptic almost with Absolutely. that fire raging yes. and but I'm, I'm going to interrupt you because I want to know this moment that you invited me to join you and see your work. Yes. Which I found really, I mean, it helped me respect what you guys are doing, what you're going through, because I don't know always what you're actually doing on the ground. And I see it unfolding in my own eyes. And I felt I really admired you were, you were determined to do what you could. But is it fair to say that you were also unable to do anything at that moment and you realized it too? It's almost like a sinking in feeling that out of parliament or in parliament, it's the same frustration. It's not true. Oh, okay. uh, uh, to a certain, the way it looks mm. right now, yeah. it looks the same mm. because we were not able to stop it. Yeah. But as an MP... I cannot but try. Right. I cannot watch. Mm. And I'm not there to watch, or I'm not here in this new role to Mm. watch. Mm. I have to try. And I have to keep trying inside the parliament and outside the parliament. And so I took my concerns to the parliament and to the Commission of Public Works in particular. Mm. And I asked to form an ad hoc committee so that we continue following up on the works, on the cleanups, now that the silos are down, especially the, the northern part. Yes. So we need to clean up the mess. We need the city to live in a, in, in a cleaner air, although there are so many other sources of <laughs> air pollution. Yeah. Let's not start there. But, but what I wanted to, to say is that we cannot not try. We have no right not to, uh, mm. but to try and to do the right thing. And so with this ad hoc committee, we are able to follow up. Mm. And I'm not Mm. saying that we reached where we want to be. At least for the first time, we have this committee that is following up on the work of the cabinet Mm. to see if we're gonna reach a solution. And in fact, this Saturday, we're gonna go down with this ad hoc committee Mm. to check whether the work is continuing to clean up the rubble and to also empty the north, the southern silos from the grains. So I have not mm, given mm, up. Yeah, I'm not sure where this is going to lead me to, but at least I'm doing the small steps. And, and I want to remind you 
that I'm a person of a process. That's the word that you chose last episode, and it stuck with me because of all the interviews I had with everyone trying to enter parliament. You articulated your process, not just in parliament, but in life. And I like that you see things clearly and that you see already that even when things are bleak, there's a committee and there's a date and you will go. You will inspect as much as you can as an MP and try to find solutions. And that's why I have deep admiration for what you're going through. But I'm, I don't want to be too bleak, but I think I have to because I see that as outstanding effort and I also see uh, a process that's denied. Mm-hmm. And I think a committee, it almost seems like, yes, that's the right step forward. And an assumption that whether it was that night watching the last hours of the two northern silos fall, or for that matter, the immense pollution. I live in Maram Khayel. I, I know the, the, I mean, we all know that stench. That's a combination of many things now but the dust the debris i can imagine that this wreckage looks the same for months on end and i don't think much will be done that's irrespective of an investigation this is just collateral damage now so i'm could you offer a cynic let's say or a skeptic maybe cynicism is not the healthiest trait but let's say a deep skeptic could you walk me through how you see your role in trying to change that? So whether it's a committee meeting on Saturday or whether it's your role in parliament, because what I see is someone shackled by things bigger than their control. And I, I, I want you to pers- persuade me otherwise. I don't want to think about the big picture. Mm. I think I have a problem in front of me. Yeah. And the problem is very, very simple. There are debris, there is fire underneath, and there is mold, there is grain that is cooking, and this is posing a risk to the city. And it's posing a risk to the other part of the silos, the southern part. So for me, I'm just going to confine it into this particular problem, Mm. and I will tackle this problem, and I will ask the Minister of... Uh, environment, the Minister of Public Works, and whatever entity that has responsibility to clear up this mess, Mm. I'm just going to go off after them, day after day, until this problem is solved. I have not given up since 7-7-2022, ever since the fire started to become visible Mm. to people. Mm. This is what I'm focusing on. Yeah. It's simple. It's very limited in space and time. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you're choosing all the right words to show anyone that there's still uh, a job at stake. And yes. this is what you this is why you're in parliament. I think it's what you should be saying, actually. It would be odd if you went down the skeptical road with me. So I appreciate that you still hold on to this this process, but uh, I do see something uh, beyond repair. And, you know, we can maybe dance around this subject. Let's go from environmental catastrophe to even 
the things that have happened since May. And that's, that is four months. Tarbitar is history. Not yet. <laughs> okay, we need to. Okay, let, let me. I'll, I'll. Good, that's actually. That's well said. You're right. Not yet. Almost. <laughs> but you're right. Not yet. Tarbitar is in a corner. Okay. The anticipation for international involvement, I think, has been squashed. A August 4 commemoration that came and went, where we saw parts of the, it's almost like Hollywood could not come up with this. The port is collapsed, the, the silos are collapsing on the anniversary. But all the demands that began two years ago have not been fulfilled. Yeah. A situation where the country is anarchic, security is now a major problem. Crime, you have theft, and you also have, I think, uh, a battered society. The lira is hovering at thirty-nine thousand. Um, I, you represent hope, not just change, but hope, and really feels hopeless. How do you see things moving forward? What I see is bank heists increasing, crime increasing, perhaps paralysis in Baabda, or for that matter, maybe a settlement that's not good for the country. And I see the port rotting, and I see the city sort of post-mortem. So Wake me out of that. Tell me how you see things moving forward and how your role is maybe part of that story and if you're able to maybe steer things in a better direction given how bad things are. I'm not going to take you out of this. Okay. I'm going to stay in it. Yeah. Because all you described is very, very true. And this is reality. And if I describe it in any other way, I will be lying to myself. Mm. This is reality. The reality is we have a bad a collapse, a completely collapsed system. Yeah. And a completely collapsed government. And the worst of it all is that people have not risen up to the occasion to help the country. And when I say people, I say people in power. Right, yeah. They're still thinking about what's in it for me and how can I be opposing the other. Mm. And with that, I hope they realize that there is nothing in it anymore. Yeah. You know, you know, when you say what's in it for me, you're assuming that there is something in this government that you can take for yourself. Yeah. There's nothing anymore. People are not coming to their jobs, and they're not attending their jobs or their duties. We have been on judiciary strike for almost a month and, and some. So, yeah. Uh, the judges that have gone home and... Yeah. Right, yeah. right. I mean, everything has collapsed, and yeah. that's absolute, it's an absolute catastrophe. No doubt and no question about it. Mm. 
Okay, so you wake up every day and you say, okay, where do I start? Which battle I have to choose today? Yeah. Let's go down the first one. Absolutely, absolutely. How do you start your day with that issue? Because you're right. I have been, yes. You're right, he's not done yet. No. But he's almost done. Very close. I don't want to believe this because Mm. I believe that there is a team of lawyers who are passionate, smart, dedicated, Mm. and very, very good believer of the cause. Mm. And they have been fighting this corrupt decision tooth and nail ever since it came out. Mm. I know them one by one. Mm. I know how hard they're working. And I know how many letters they have written back and how many counter, you know, uh, counter measures mm. they have taken to stop what this Minister of Justice has, has done. And, yeah. and this is showing a little bit of positive change because they have not been able to appoint this parallel judge yet yet and i'm saying and it's all because of so many efforts and so many initiatives Mm. or so many interpretation Mm. of the law and and the counter argument that they are coming up with and acting on them and sending them to the right people entities in order to stop what what they have decided on legally Let's say that's true. Actually, that is true. Everything you just outlined is fact. Yet the investigation stalled, what, almost a year ago. Oh, yes. Or we're approaching a year. I know. And, and, you know, uh, right before what the Minister of Justice did, Mm. we were okay because we were hoping that the investigation will pick up again or will return. Now we have to deal with another beast. So what I'm trying to say, it's a constant battle with yeah. evil. Constant. So let's go. I'm, 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 I need to push as far as I can because I, I want, I need to maybe have a better, uh, my compass is off. So maybe you can help me come back and see something. I, I see his investigation as dead. Yeah. I see his position as potentially lingering but paralyzed. I see no investigation. Uh, I see no international involvement too. And the reasons for that is there's no state that will ever go down that road right now, opening up the state as it exists to an international probe. I just don't see that ever happening. So I'm, I'm going to flip it. 17 years ago, something very odd happened. The Lebanese state requested international assistance, Mm. the special tribunal. That's a very rare occasion in Lebanese history. Actually, it's the only occasion where the state said, we cannot handle this. That's post-elections, a majority government, Mm. and it happens. And it happens even when the future governments in Lebanon paralyze Mm -hmm. that process. Here, Mm -hmm. it continues on. abroad a very watered down uh very disappointing process yes 
it does yield a verdict at the end. I can't imagine this happening ever again. No local investigation, no international uh, probe, no Lebanese government that will ever want that. With or without a new president, new prime minister, I just don't see that happening. And that's why I'm stuck in this paralysis myself. So you're an MP and you're battling that terrain. You're actually, you're, that's, I mean, it's such a huge battle. I know. How do you confront this other than the very, very small steps that maybe sometimes are afforded? I, I don't, I don't know. I'm, I'm being hard, but I need to know what, is it just literally battling until it, it all collapses? Is that? I think it's not one thing, mm, mm. one isolated mm. problem, although it's one of the major ones mm. that has ended with the collapse of the state, basically. Mm. Yeah. August 4 was a catalyst for the complete collapse of the state. Yeah. But still, the corruption was there before. Right. And the same warlords are still in power. Mm. And they are the ones that are manipulating, who are manipulating everything. So yeah. we have to fight this whole system. Yeah. We cannot fight them isolated. Sometimes we say we have to fight them in isolated, you know, uh, uh, incidents or, mm. or uh, problems. And sometimes it's not easy. Yeah. It's not easy. What I'm trying to say is that we 13, we sleep on something, we wake up on another problem. <laughs> the only thing we know is that we have to find, fight the system. We cannot accept corruption. I see familiarity, and I'm going to go down this road with you. Um, first example, line 29. Mm -hmm. It doesn't make sense to me. It could be the right line, it could be the wrong line. Line 23 is what the Lebanese government sent 11 years ago. Line 23 could be wrong. Line 23 may be, may be completely off. But going and doing this, this kind of battle now, I don't think, I think it, I think it adds to the paralysis rather than doing the right thing, which is finalizing this problem once and for all. And I sensed that this was a trying to show credentials and trying to stand for sovereignty, but in a way that was better fit for a group that would maybe not want that deal anytime soon. And I, I didn't see this as the right course although it was adamantly championed by the 13. So maybe I'm wrong. Line 29 could be the right line, but it's just a battle that should have been fought long ago. And I don't know why it's being fought today. So could you explain to me how you saw this very, very um, outstanding problem that is now maybe going to actually end in the coming days, maybe? But why Line 29 was so important to the new bloc, and why not just go with what the Lebanese state sent 11 years ago? 
I don't think they, there was a consensus of what they wanted because everyone had a different story when we visited them. Mm, mm. So we didn't, you know, we didn't ask them before we made our research. Right. And our research says that our rights as Lebanese starts with line 29. Mm. So the books, the army, the, the UK company, when they came to draw the lines, to draw the borders of Lebanon versus pa- occupied Palestine, they said that, you know, technically speaking, our line is 29. And if we go back and start the negotiation with line 23, we're given up 1,430 1, kilometers squared from our own you know, maritime mm-hmm. borders. Yeah. So in this case, what do you do? You say, oh, okay, let go of 1,430 kilometers squared and let's go with whatever they tell us to do. So, so It was more that what was already discussed with Cyprus and the UN, was it 2010, I think, or 2011? Yes, they Some started very early on. Yeah. And, and they themselves admitted that this was a mistake. Hmm. Okay, so I'm going to ask it in a better way. Line 23 is literally just a line. It's not, this is not... Um, They're all hypothetical th- lines. Exactly, so it's not, you know, the 11th commandment right, is line right, 29. Right. Yeah. Even so, line 29 is right, hypothetical. Exactly. It's hypothetical. But, but it's technically where we should draw the line right. to separate our border from, you know, to separate our... Uh, yeah, our belonging and our our yeah. rights from other people's rights or other countries' rights. Okay, so tell me where I'm getting it wrong because I'm open to learning why I see this may potentially incorrectly. Line 23 was what was submitted over a decade ago and this involves Lebanon and Cyprus. That's sort of the Lebanese-Cypriot demarcation delineation line, maritime boundary line. Um, and line 23 was already something that we were negotiating. And there, the Hoff line was one of those deals that didn't work out. The Hoff line of yes. 2012, I think. I don't mm-hmm. remember exactly. Mm-hmm. So Lebanon could well deserve more than the Hoff line. Mm-hmm. And line 23 was our best estimate. In the last 11 years south of the border that's where things have already started yes right so going to line 29 for me for me i see that as shabaa farms really that there will never be a line that both sides can agree to that it's almost um it's guaranteeing not necessarily conflict doesn't have to mean mean conflict just means that this will never be solved this is the absolute maximum that you can ask for post what we already insisted what was ours so it's, it's, um, no but even line 23 mm. if you take line 23 you're losing kana right yes and and yeah. that's not fair i yeah. mean not only that you're losing mm. a big portion of mm. your own maritime uh, yeah. land maritime mm. it cuts you know, through property. right it's, exactly yeah, yeah, yeah. it cuts through kana mm. which means you're giving up Karish, yes. that is all given up to the other uh, to the other country. Yeah. But you're also giving up 
part of Ghana or mm. the major part of Ghana. Mm-hmm. So what we're trying to say, since technically and theoretically speaking, we can start our negotiation with Line 29 so that we get we get all Ghana and we can probably with this negotiation give up Karesh mm. so that they can take it. Then you have better leverage mm. of starting the negotiation with a hard line that has been approved by a UK company yes. and yeah. by and by the Lebanese army. So so you don't start weak, you start very strong. And this was our main argument. Mm. Knowing that this would never work. No, knowing that it will work because oh. had they had they sent to the UN mm. an, an amendment yeah. to the to the borders and they have the right to do so mm. and it was done before yeah. then we could have started the negotiation with line 29 wouldn't that overlap with what was already designated as disputed territory and the israelis had already started drilling that this would bring us into conflict potential conflict with, do you know how far the negotiation is right now? Actually, I don't know, but I, it seems Nobody like it's something knows. is happening. I don't know, though. That's yeah. the problem, is that yeah. they do all these negotiations. Right. They don't inform anyone. Yeah. So we don't know what the negotiations are going for. Yeah. And They've and been talking about an S or some odd-shaped... But uh, it's all here and say, yeah, right? right. Yeah. Nothing from the local government, mm-hmm. from the Lebanese government, mm-hmm. has clarified. You know, we don't have any clarity yeah. of where we stand in the negotiation. I just didn't know why it was the the desire to start over from what was already worked through, even if it was wrong. Line twenty three. It seemed like it was just a re- an unnecessary reboot at a time where. This would be, it would be, it's an absolute position that would not get to a compromise. It's more holding your ground as long as you can. And that reminded me of Shaba. That it's con- no, 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 Ronnie. No. I think what we're tra- we were trying to say, because there yeah. was, there was like threats of war and everything yes. if Israel starts digging, right? Yeah. And they were saying that Karesh cannot, cannot be, only for for the Israelis. Yes. So we're saying, okay, you want to negotiate? Don't Mm. go to war. Amend the decree that you sent to the UN. I think it was 644 or I'm not... I I forgot the the number. But that's what we were saying. Don't go to war. Just start the negotiation. Mm. Do the amendment of the decree. Mm. And if you are far in the negotiation, tell us. So that was the problem really is the communication at the end it's just like you said it's all being done secretly yeah yeah i see that that, that's fair that's fair so they've not been opening up to their current negotiations well everyone said the president said we hold we are stuck with line 23 like you're saying Mm -hmm. and and the other two the president berry and uh, uh, the speaker of the house and uh, the uh, uh head of the cabinet, they were saying different things. They were yeah. saying negotiations are happening beyond and like you're saying, in different lines around yeah. line 23. And, and and the Speaker of the House was saying, you know, 
uh, I don't want to hold any line. I, I, I don't want to negotiate with lines. I want to negotiate probably with something else. He was he refused <laughs> the, the, the theory of the lines anyway. I see. So, so everyone was coming up with a different theory. Should there be an agreement made? I don't I have no idea. It's actually I have no idea either. No clue. But it feels like something is happening in New York. Let's say an agreement is made and it somehow leans more to a certain line. Not line 29. Let's just say line 23 is the default line and it's some somewhere there. Would you still be convinced that the position was correct? That you stuck to what you thought or not not you, but what the with the change block considered to be rightfully ours, even when it may go in another direction. I, I, I do I appreciate the determination because it was not a very easy sell, I think, to a lot of people. Yet no one, no one wavered from it in the, in the change block. It stayed line 29 yes. up until now. Because we believe that this is our yeah. beginning, that, the, that this is our starting point in the okay. negotiation. Yeah. That was, that was, that's, that's very important to Lebanon. Those are yeah. our rights. Yeah. We're fighting for our rights. Mm-hmm. I can't contest that. Um, I think it's more of just, I didn't know if it was too late to do that. I wish I knew. Yeah. <laughs> I wish I knew. I think that's where the dispute is, really. Of It's just time. It's that 12 years later, this may have not been possible. Despite the procedure to do an amendment, it just seems like it's late. While line 29 could be the right line, could be. But it's 12 years removed from where this all started. And other countries have moved on. That's what I sensed was paralysis, really. But but Shiba is still in negotiation, and it's been it's been over twelve years, I think. It's been twenty two years, right? Exactly. I ex- that's my point. No, exactly. I'm saying yeah. if we do it right, yeah. Sometimes you know, this time it just happened mm. that the negotiation is accelerated. Right. Right. That's okay. fair. That's so fair. twelve years might not seem too long right. installed negotiation that could go forever. That's fair. What happened this time is that Europe is so in need of gas. Mm, mm. And this has accelerated the negotiation and nothing else. And maybe also that one party right now wants a victory before they're out. Whatever. Maybe. So so what we're saying is that the regional and the international environment has been in favor of moving the negotiation forward. Right. Otherwise... 12 years would not have been late for us to claim our rights in line 29. You have an expert in your group, Takadum Lori Haitayan. She does this for a living. I am in no position to challenge her diligent research. I know she's married to line 29, mm-hmm. more than Zevin. Mm-hmm. I think I can get away mm-hmm. with saying that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> They're at the same line. <laughs> They're both line 29. <laughs> I don't, I don't want to say anything about that. <laughs> and I know she reminds us every morning on Twitter mm-hmm. of line 29. Uh, she's an expert in the field. I try to understand her position as much as I can. And it's nice to hear you explaining it from a, almost like a, part, an, a new MP, but also maybe a slightly wider perspective that I think you're absolutely right. These are not... Time is on no one's side. Yeah. 
that's really the story. And I think it just uh, happened this time that yeah. negotiations moved, right? Yeah, that's fair. I thought something good happened two, three days ago. Felt like political enemies <laughs> or whatever they're called. Confrontation uh, was put one step behind and a road was forged ahead. Not necessarily that any name was suggested, or even for that matter, it may be too soon. But there were whispers of maybe coming to terms with how the Lebanese forces seize Ba'abda. And that to me was striking because it shows how maybe they're, they have to compromise, but also that you're not withering or you're not, you're not leaving principles behind but you're understanding that you do need numbers at the end of the day, and numbers matter, and you can talk to established parties. That, to me, is political maturity from both sides. I'm not going to try to defend the Lebanese forces here, or for that matter, try to massage the, the 13, but it just showed that there was something good that happened. There's a process mm-hmm. of picking a name. I think that's good. Now, you were there, and we both sort of described how it's like inside. It's true. It's intimidating. It's an intimidating place. But you were in the room. Is that a fair characterization of where things are with that group? And do you see things moving the right way in terms of narrowing down a name that would not be either a settlement name where a paralyzed president emerges or for that matter, a name that we definitely don't want in Ba'abda. And that could be a name that still has a chance to enter. Uh, this is the first time yeah. I talk about the initiative. Mm. I'm not the usual talker on TV. Let's get Mark Dowell. <laughs> no, I'm joking. <laughs> <laughs> what the? Call him. <laughs> exactly. So I want to talk about the presidential... Paula, stay out. <laughs> no, I'm joking. I'm joking. <laughs> so, so I want to talk about the presidential election. Yeah. Or the presidential initiative first mm. that the Bloc 13 has come up with. Mm. I think it has shown, like you said, a high maturity. Political maturity or national maturity, I don't know. Mm. But it is a mature move. Mm. Why? Because we put the interest of the country yes. in front of everything else. Yeah. It's not easy for Firas Hamdan to sit face to face with the people who think were, you know, pro- not responsible, but were, were, I don't know what to say, were uh, somehow uh, Associated, maybe. Associated, yeah. exactly, yeah. with with uh, with the shot he got during yeah. the October 17 revolution. Yeah. And it wasn't easy for Cynthia to mm. sit also with the party. She believed at one time that it was a savior for the country. Mm-hmm. And and so this is great maturity. Cynthia, that as you're sitting with, I'm talking, uh, I'm, I'm assuming you mean Gibran Bessie. Yes. But she got up and she walked out. It wasn't easy for her. Yeah, okay. 
that's what I'm saying. Oh, that's oh, I see. I see. I, sa- I yeah. said it's not easy. Yes. To see this. Yes, yes. And they knew where they were going, mm-hmm. and they were willing, both of them, to put all their emotions aside. Right. Yeah. And work for this initiative. Yes. And this move to actually, you know, help the country mm. choose a president that is along, you know, the same, that that has the characteristics that we have envisioned and we yeah. have laid down. Yeah. So this in and of itself, a great, great victory for us, I believe. Yes. You know, the initiative itself, the how we defined it, how we characterized the, the presidency, yes. and I don't want to call it a president, because it's yeah. not about a person, it's about the presidency. It's about Lebanon. Yes. It's about who we want and how we want to save this country. And that deserves to put all our differences on the side and go talk to everyone. Did you feel the same kind of uh, common space when you met with the Free Patriotic Movement compared to the Lebanese forces meeting? Or was it easier to have that kind of discussion with the Lebanese forces? Because I'm, I'm trying to, I felt that there was some positivity over the weekend that wasn't felt earlier. And I know this is not just one meeting. This is an ongoing process. I don't want to think about it this way. Mm. I think every single group or political party mm. has to think for, you know, has to put the benefit of the country mm. in front of their political ideology. Yeah. And it's a national duty and it's a national responsibility. Mm. Mm. So for me, they don't have, they don't have a, credit for doing this Mm, mm. it's their responsibility and their national duty to do it the same way it is for me yeah so the standards are the same in every single meeting and and it has to be yeah and it has to be yeah if i'm putting all my differences aside and i'm putting the benefit of my country first Mm -hmm. i expect everyone to do the same i think it's striking that you're able not you the the new the new MPs are able to hold their ground in these meetings for the most part, and they come out looking mature. I think this is a very quick learning curve. And I'm, I'm actually, I was really impressed over the weekend with just the way the words were, the way the process was being outlined, and it's almost you have to cherry pick and sometimes read between the lines, but it showed that there is a process that the 13 are adhering to and they want other parties to respect that. Yes. And I think that's good. I mean, this is for the first time. Yeah. We're breaking the walls between all the parties that have reigned the country for a long time. Yeah. And and the rhetoric, the narrative has been, I don't talk to you, you don't talk to me. Mm-hmm. And we send letters or messages through the media. Yeah. What is best to do is to go talk to them and say, okay, listen, we are in a critical moment mm-hmm. and we want you to be with us yeah. and work with us so that we can save this country. Does that translate? I think in, this yeah. is the most powerful act an MP can do for the country in those dire circumstances. That's well said. 
actually. That's one of those few positive steps happening, I think, right now, is how everyone is approaching Babda, but really how the 13 are approaching Babda. Is it fair to say, though, that there's a, a leaning towards a list of names that are ex- accessible? Because it's great to imagine a fresh new face in Babda, and then I can see the inclination to Gibran Basil or Slimen Frenji as overwhelming, really, and that it may well end up being one of those two names no matter what happens. Is there a commitment to maybe making sure certain names don't make it? Or is it more that you have names that you want to see enter Babda and you're trying to get other parties to maybe subscribe to them? Because I, I don't know how We this... have a national goal. Yeah. <laughs> we have a country. And we're here to save this country. We have the characteristics of, of the person we think can be mm. or is able with a team, of course, because I don't believe in one person. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So that's why I'm saying we need to save the presidency yeah. and the country and not a president. So this person, with the characteristics that we have defined, mm. will be our choice. For me, I have nothing to lose. I have a lot to gain yeah. if I work for this person, or for this team, or for this cause. And that's the only thing I will do. Me, and I'm speaking on behalf of the 13 as well, who, when we meet, have the same goal is to save the country and not to be you know not to make alliances mm. and we need to make sure that we have and we believe in the choice that we're making is there a firm position on no settlement president meaning that a re- Hassan Dieb like figure that enters Baabda cherry picked from civil society but really doesn't represent civil society and doesn't touch any of the bigger problems. Is there an adamancy that this should not happen to Baabda? And is that maybe a shared goal? It has not. Uh, yeah. It shouldn't happen to Baabda. Mm. It shouldn't. Yeah. And we will fight. We will fight for the good presidency team. This fight is overwhelming. We have <laughs> to. We yeah. have to. Yeah. And believe me, Anon, when we say this, it's a choice. It's a deliberate choice that we're making. Yeah. No compromises. Negotiations, yes, but compromises, no. I don't want to see a civil society name burned in Babda. And it could be a good person that is shackled and then ends up paralyzed. That's why we need a team. Yeah, that's well said. Let me go into slightly more difficult terrain. <laughs> more? Yeah, I mean, there's two more things I have in mind, but we'll end it in, in comfort food. <laughs> uh, I'm torn when I see people I know from the protest movement, whether it's a plastic or real gun, I don't care at this point, that they're on TV holding up a bank, but more importantly, trying to recover their money. And I don't know how to describe this kind of incident. For me, I see the threat of innocent deaths, but I also see that people are trying to 
reclaim what was stolen. And then I also see bank tellers and bank managers frightened. And they're not to blame. Mm-hmm. It's not that the bank teller is the target. So it's almost like everyone is innocent. Yet, the, the real threat for this turning into something dangerous is there. Yes. So how do you sort of try to mitigate this? I mean, the banks are closed. Whether it's reopening on Thursday or next week, there's a sense of fear. Add to that, the money is not there. And then I think heists are going to continue. Maybe that's not even the right word, because bank heist sounds like it's a, it's a crime, but it's not really that. It's just anarchy. H- how do you deal with this and trying to maybe find some solution to this? Because I, what I see is just anarchy spreading. I think the solution has to come from the banks and the central bank. The banks have not accepted to bear any loss. Yeah. And they are, with the central bank, still continuing probably to make some money. Because really? they're playing mm. with the with the dollar mm. and the pegging of the lira. Mm. And so we don't know whether they're making mm. any profit. And, and so the central bank and the banks have to accept some losses. And the losses cannot be at the expense of the depositors' money. So they have, we have to redesign the banking system altogether, and we have to give the depositors their money. That's, 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 that's their rights. They were not involved in the strategies and in the mm. uh, you know, design of all these loans and all of this money, money uh, whatever, money strategy. That, the, that they made with the central bank and the government. But in your, in your best estimate, do you think that, I mean, this path forward, uh, come Monday, I don't think that's going to happen, although it should happen. Yeah. And as an MP, what is your maneuvering space? Are you, are you able to legislate anything right now that would even begin to push this forward or is it more of a things are going to have to get worse for the banks to begin to feel that they have some responsibility coming monday i don't think we can do much mm. right yeah things are going to get really bad yeah so you feel this too yes okay yes yeah. yes but do i blame people do i feel for the employees the bank employees yes mm. do i blame people Yeah, that's the that's the feeling that no one is to blame, except except the bank owners and BDL. Right, and they're not there in those moments where people are very emotional. Right, and I'm just I am really afraid that a bystander is going to pay a price yeah. in this kind of climate. I totally agree. I think we're very lucky that it hasn't happened yet. I hope it doesn't. I hope so. The last thing I'll bother you with, but I'll give you the floor at the end. <laughs> I have to talk about this with you, even though I don't want to. The reason I have to is because every single time I'm... Okay, 
So I've been criticized for being too sweet and maybe too kind and being giving the benefit of the doubt. I think these are all good qualities. <laughs> but uh, sometimes when things are taken out of context or sometimes when somebody's put on the spot, there are things that are taken and then they're shared and then suddenly you're on the news. So... <laughs> Trending. You're trending. <laughs> I'm going to be very careful because I know it's not fair to just say, what the hell were you thinking? <laughs> But I think it's a valid question. <laughs> so let me phrase it better. Do you consider the medrese moment as a slip up in terms of language? Do you think that the, the moment was a bit unfair and that You were trying to say something, but it's live TV and you're not given the opportunity to really explain what you're saying. And you're trying to just be concise. And maybe it's not exactly what you meant, but that's how people define it. Or do you really believe that that was the right word choice at that moment? Because I'm going to suggest something. I think you just meant it in terms of an innocent remark. And I think you... You do use the word process regularly. I think you were just trying to be honest that there is a process. Maybe it's not to your liking, but it's there. It may be a inefficient or even a violent process sometimes. But that's the process that you're entering. And you may not wish for it to be there, but you're experiencing it. That's what I that's my best <laughs> definition of what happened. But you're, you were there. You tell me. Uh, first of all, I think this mistake is going to go with me to the grave. And if you allow me, uh, I'm going to say a story. Uh, there is a scientist and ecologist who was working in Africa. And at the time, they knew very little about ecology and the whole ecosystem. Mm. So they wanted to protect the forest from elephants. Mm. And they decided to kill 40,000 elephants. He's one of the very well-known ecologists. And he said ever since they killed those elephants, because they, there was few animals walking on the ground mm. the soil was never turned oh. and and the whole ecosystem died right and he admitted this mistake on stage oh. saying that this mistake is gonna go with me to the grave <laughs> I mean <laughs> that's a lovely <laughs> I feel bad for this guy on stage and I feel very bad that you got hammered a little too much for this. Okay, so having said that, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> and listening to some of, you know, the constituents that I love and I met over, you know, the past few months and since I said this, I feel so bad that I hurt so many people. Because mm. one woman I will never forget She told me I cried all night when I heard you. Right? And this really is painful. 
to hear people saying this to me. It's very painful. All right? And for this, I apologize so many times on TV, yeah. on radio, on podcasts and everything. And I do it and I say it from the bottom of my heart because I never, never meant to hurt anyone. Let me give you the floor let me then. Get, yeah. Let me uh, get to the sentence now. Yes, yes. Again, I'm a person of a process. Yeah. And this is extremely important mm. because the process is extremely important to me. Mm. That means every step along the way mm. of any path I take is a valuable step. I don't think about the end result. I think about how I'm going to get to the end results. Maybe I have used the wrong word that is madrasi. Yeah. But what I meant is that this person has taken power of the parliament for 40 years. We have to know how he did it so that we understand how to stop it. Not stop him because he's not going to run again. But how yeah. to stop this from happening again. Or stop him. Really the process is extremely important. And we have to learn and understand every step along the way. Or every yeah. every, uh, you know, every a single step. That's what I mean. In order for us to face this. How could you face it if you don't understand it? Yeah. You know, I think you were, I mean, I understood it as you were trying to show how a very perverted system functions and something that you wanted to be taken care of was taken care of. The ashtrays in Parliament, uh, it was taken care of in a way that a, almost like a, a godfather-esque moment where uh, somebody stands up and says do it and they do it and that may not be a good healthy process but it is a process and I understood you when you said medrasi in that because I fortunately spent an hour with you before knowing and getting to know you better and what you're actually uh, what you're trying to do but yeah that word really shook people to their core and I think it was it was a word that many people I think were surprised by but I'm glad that you were able to explain it because I think it won't stay with you to your grave. No, <laughs> I think actually what is going to stay to your grave and all of our graves is that people are battling so hard and finding very little room for success, but they're still trying when they're out of parliament and in parliament. I think the effort is going to go with all of us to our grave. I don't think that word will stick with you. And the thank thankfully for social media, a lot of things have happened since and people people move on. And um yeah, I think um just sometimes certain words at certain times on certain stations about certain characters, you're not Harakat Amal, you're not Nabih Birri, <laughs> you're a change MP with Takadum and you campaigned heavily against a system you want to fix. So, but I want to see how I can fix it, and I want to understand it. What would the word I been if you if you could if you could rephrase it instead of medrasi? What would the word have been? It's. I don't know. I don't know. Mm. 
Madrasi probably has a positive connotation. Yeah, that's. I think that's where it comes from. But you know what? <laughs> Again, I mean, this came because in 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 the U.S. when you go to public lectures mm. that they, that happen very often, they usually tell you about a lot of stories that happen in the country, and most of these stories are not the best stories. Right. So they tell you sometimes about crime, about corruption, about investigation. You know, when I talk about public lectures, yeah. they always pick those intriguing, very uh, difficult situation that they want to share with the public. Mm-hmm. And this is where the madrasi came from, is that I used to attend those public mm. lectures a lot. Yeah. And I used to learn a lot about, you know, different different cases in the country, different criminal cases, corrupt cases, and all of that. Yeah. And I think the leading question was unfair as well. There was an expectation of a positive response, and you ended up maybe by default choosing the word that fit the question best, but it wasn't exactly, I think, the kind of process you had in mind, and it just kind of became a soundbite and (laughs) shared endlessly on social media. But no, thank you for letting me ask this, because I think it would have been odd for me not to ask but I wanted to hear it the way you described it and I think that's that's the right answer so Najat you a few weeks ago you were well no well two months ago uh, you were sitting in the front row of a of a seminar on impunity hosted by Monica Borgman and the Lukman Slim Foundation there were five of us talking and it was great to see you there you were the only MP who showed up to discuss issues of impunity, political violence, the port blast and all that it encompasses. And you were right in the middle of the audience. And that was a great thing. It was good to see you there. Um, I think I've benefited from meeting you on several occasions. Now I think more as a friend, but as a professional friend, if you will, because all of our conversations revolve around how to describe and how to discuss this very difficult subject. So I'm going to give you the floor here. You wanted to share some stories and maybe you've now been in parliament for almost four months. Maybe there's some lessons learned or maybe there's some surprises. Anything that you can share with an audience that heavily supported you entering parliament and your own reflections four months in. And I think, in my, my humble estimation, the story of political violence is what brought you in. The port blast. Absolutely. And that's the one thing none of us have answers for. So, what can you say in that climate? Trying to do the right thing, battle against the system. Political violence is a mainstay of where we are now. And uh, you're an MP. <laughs> I want to talk about this incident in particular. And I think uh, I was there and I listened to the panel. And Mm. the panel was diverse and was very, very interesting and enlightening, actually. Mm. Uh, But at the same time, um, there was this ending that was very open. It's like, you know, it's like the movie that... uh, 
Nadine Labek did now what? Uh, yes. <laughs> yeah, uh, the mountain villagers that dance until they all just, yeah, finally. No, I mean, when they switched religion. Yes, right. Right, right yeah. and they were going to bury, to bur- yeah. b- bury. Yeah. Um, something yeah. And so after, like, you were six or seven on, on the stage. It must have been something like that, yeah. Yes. And talking, you know, about your own perspectives mm. and some with a legal agenda with uh, yes. Mizar Sagi, yes. also talking about their efforts, mm. Human Rights Watch, mm-hmm. talking about also how much they were doing in order for them to get some uh, evidence yes. and, and, and some, some ways to push forward mm-hmm. the justice and... Um, and the pursuit of justice. And also there was Najat Rushdie, there was yeah. Monica Lukman Slim's wife and all of that. And it's so painful. It's a lot of pain on this panel oh, and yeah. in the audience. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Right? Yeah. And um, and I think, I, I mean, first it just took too long because they were late in starting and also the panels because there were so many, they took too long. I had another commitment. I know that the audience, since I was the only MP, wanted to ask me questions to see how can MPs help in this. Yeah. Uh, I did not wait to receive the questions. Mm. Um, but I can tell them that I have not saved any moment to push the investigation in the right direction. I have been in contact, like I said, with a group of bright bright lawyers mm. uh, head by Shikri Haddad and Milham Khalaf. Uh, there are also um, petitions for the Human Rights Watch, Watch that I, you know, pushed and I contributed to, to also to explain the situation to other MPs. Yes and convince them that we really need to push this agenda forward. Have met with several ambassadors, uh, international and especially European ambassadors, to ask them and also request that the EU resolution is renewed, the EU Council resolution for demanding justice for the port and the victims of of the Beirut blast be served. This was also pushed and renewed. Mm. Uh, I have met with several people, victims of the of the Beirut blast, and listened to their stories. And also, you know, promised that I will continue doing my best in order for us to serve justice. And lately, I have been in close contact with Wilhelm and Shikri mm. to see how I can support them because I really believe that we have the best team we could ever have if only politics can be pushed aside for these people to continue doing what they're doing. Is it fair to say that the Lebanese state still has to request assistance for something to actually materialize? Or do you still think that there is a way forward for Tariq Bitar to go after so many people in this country that want him gone? I I, I don't know. Everything you're we, saying is true. Everything we go back to 
the heart of the problem. We need a country without corruption. We need because it's not about competency and you know, of of the local lawyers. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. We, we have the brightest and exactly. the most dedicated people I have ever seen in my life. Yeah. Right. And I know how hard they work and they work 14 to 15 hours a day. And I know. But I know. It, and I see them so dedicated to this yeah. cause. They don't stop. They really never stopped. But they keep instead of looking for justice, they are battling the political system. They keep stopping the political interference in this in this uh, in this file. So so our our problem and our fight is with the political system and not with the investigation. Exactly, but I think I think see, I wake up on the weekends, uh, early Saturday morning or Sunday morning. I'm on Twitter, and I see you working your ass off. You're either doing some cleanup you're attending a political event i see you sometimes in the mountains i see you on the coast and you're working so hard you're absolutely right there are so many talented there's there are enough experts in this country to fix lebanon that's true yeah and there's talented lawyers there's capable judges tarib bitar is a decent man unable to do his job all of that i think is maybe that can happen and at the same time uh, a generation can go by where there's no investigation yeah so i want i was wondering maybe we can wrap it up with this kind of back and forth is there any benefit to maybe sometimes communicating the limitations meaning that you're going to battle as hard as you can but there are certain walls that you can't pass i have no choice this is a path that I chose to do. But is there any to any way to identify the walls that you hit? There is. There are walls every single second. Hmm. There are walls. And I wake up waiting for the challenges that I'm going to face on a daily basis. It's not easy, Ronnie. It's very, very difficult. And sometimes I feel like, you know, I need the energy to stretch my patience, my <laughs> wisdom, my mind, yeah. everything even further. I know it's very hard. I knew it, it's going to be mm. very hard because we're not battling a regular system. I'm yeah. not an MP in a stable country. No, that's true. Um, we're fighting a big mafia, right? And we're putting our lives on the line. Because they don't care. I mean, if I'm going to stop, if I'm going to uh, expose any of their wrongdoings, right, they will kill me. They don't care. The militia will kill you. The mafia won't. That's the thing. Whatever. So, no, no, but that's... But see, th- yeah. they, they will not stop. I'm yeah. saying if I ever yeah. become a threat to their mm. own benefits yeah. and their own people, they will kill me. Yes. And I know this. Yeah. What are the choices do I have? What are the choices that I have? I don't have too many choices. There is one choice I have is to do what I believe is the right thing for my country. And this is a choice I made deliberately. You're one of the most honest people I've interviewed or had the experience to know when I st- 
I started this podcast four years ago. Uh, you're very, you're very concise. You're at times blunt in the right way, not in the bad way. Uh, and I believe in your mission. And actually, I'm very fortunate that I get to meet one of the most sincere MPs that entered Parliament in the worst time in our modern history. Um, at times, I hear everyone in this 13 block saying the right things. And maybe sometimes I wish I could know from your side and your team side a little more of what exactly is destroying the country the way you see it from within. And I wish there was a little more, uh, a little more maybe care to saying that August 4 and this investigation is not happening because there's one group in this country that doesn't want it to happen, period. Rather than we have all the right people, we have all the right team ready, and we know what needs to be done, but there's no way to get it done. I think some effort to focus in on this group. I no. think the difference between you and me yes, is that you think that there is only one group. Taribitar was threatened by one group, and that's why this whole thing is stalled. All the mafioso types that you know now, unfortunately, some of them you probably have to deal with, are, are not the reason why this investigation died. It's a group that killed this investigation. It's not one group. One group threatened him. That's it. But now the other group stopped him. Exactly. That's well said. The collateral is part of the problem too. But the core, I think, is what's preventing the best of us from moving forward. And maybe we can endlessly debate that until we all perish. But um, I admire the road that you're... That you're. I mean, I, I just admire your path. You're, a, you're one of the good ones, and I think... Uh, I think uh, whether this country dies or not, I, I think at least sincere people tried. Uh, is there anything you want to end it with? Because I, I usually just wrap it up on a, on a storytelling note, but I don't know if that's the right way to end this. Um, I'd like to give you just uh, <laughs> anything you'd like to say about <laughs> your, your life right now. <laughs> what, what breaks my heart the most now, in addition to corruption, of course, is the environmental degradation that I see in the mm. country. And this is much worse than we have seen before during the civil war. And I want to explain why. Yeah. With the lack of electricity, there is a lack of water because yeah. water is driven by electricity. Mm. And with the lack of electricity, there is a, a lack of sewage treatment. And so all our mess, whether it's garbage, sewage, whatever, everything you can think of is driven to the sea, through the rivers. And all of this is sipping inside, in the ground, you know, on the, in the ground. Yes. To the underground water. We have a major, major environmental problem. And I have been reading a lot, and I have been understanding, again, the process, that environmental degradation has caused civilization degradation mm. or 
a complete collapse of civilization. And for me, the environmental degradation or the environmental reform is the gateway to a good country. And the environmental degradation is the gateway of a complete collapse of our civilization. When you go to visit quarry sites yeah. and you see the complete demolition or eaten up yeah. of a valley, of a, of a mountain, which means you not only killed the mountain or you know, erased it from its existence, you also killed the valley. Yes. This means the wind is not going to blow the same way. Yeah. The rain is not going to be caught in the underground the same way. Yeah. And when you see that a lot of people now are cutting trees from the roots yeah. because they they want to to warm up in the winter, you're depleting the mountains from the trees. Yeah. You're depleting our soil from what holds it together. So when the rain comes, it's going to go down. Yeah. We are losing our soil. We are losing our water. We are losing our rivers. We are losing our valleys. We're losing our mountains. The wind, when the wind blows, if there are trees, it gets the sound. It gets broken before it gets mm. to our homes. Mm. Yeah. The wind is actually, the trees are actually protecting us from severe wind. Right. From severe winter. Yeah. So by cutting one tree or the trees, you're actually exposing your home to more cold. So all of this, all of this to say that we are on the verge of collapsing as a country, as a civilization, and as a nation. And this where the problem is. Because we've got to a point where we have let go our land and our soil and our and who we are our identity and this is for me is more dangerous than everything else the real tragedy is that it's not natural disaster it's not that we're cursed with the wrong corner of the globe on the contrary this is the one of the best yes slivers of real estate the world over and then the ungovernability of this country for so long has led to permanent damage. Um, and you're one of those special people that can actually uh, see the problem and, and, and understand it. And I mean, this is your career. And I think uh, it probably hurts so much more when you really uh, understand everything that's happening. I, the way you described the whole ecosystem failing. Um, I see it at a superficial level, but I think you have uh, exactly what it needs to to understand it. I just wish that you had the tools to fix it. I am trying. So I want to thank Matt Shikri Haddad for offering me an office with a trainee mm. and two senior lawyers mm. to help me understand the laws mm. and review them edit them, amend them if needed, or come up with new laws that will protect the environment. That's first. We're also trying to advocate for a better environment 
and I want to ask from this platform for help in any way possible because, because we really need some funding to be able to form a large office that will stand to actually highlight the problem, expose the people who are working on doing this, those bad things to mm. our environment and also follow up with laws and follow up with lawsuits if we need to. And this is this is uh, within the MP portfolio or is this outside of... No, this is my, for, 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 my, for my work. For your, okay, so I will embed any information that you'd want to share. And yeah, I'd like to drive anyone to this initiative. Right. So you just, I'll, I'll make sure it's embedded in the episode. Okay. How to best do this. It's an issue of funding. Is that a we need We need funding to operate this office that okay. we're creating. Yeah. And thanks to, to the Haddad Law Office. I see. Who, okay. who actually offered expertise now for free. We started the process. Mm. He offered his work. He offered his expertise and I his see. team yeah. to help us, to help me start this initiative. It'll be easily accessible to anyone watching or listening the episode. I'll so, emphasize so, it. So this is, and I want to end on a beautiful note. Please. <laughs> so, so Thanks this to is, editing, a lot of the <laughs> sadness will be delicately removed. <laughs> so, <laughs> so this is this is the goodness of people that I love in Lebanon. Everybody came to help. You know, this person offered me his his knowledge, yeah. his expertise, you know, and his office. Yeah. This is this is how why Lebanon is Lebanon. This is the Lebanon I love. A lot of people are offering help. pre-elections without civil society this country would be unrecognizable Mm -hmm. so the goodness of volunteers or friends or whoever just average people that want to help this is the only reason that we still have a country called lebanon there's no government that is helping anyone and i think when when we talked before election i told you i believe in the goodness of people yes and this is what's gonna get us win yeah. And this time I tell you, the goodness of the Lebanese people, without any logic, are going to help us as the 13 and me to drive the environmental cause and the 13 to help, you know, protect Lebanon that we love. I've heard it said in several different ways that the 13 are sometimes rightfully in need of whether it's teams or advisors or assistants, technical assistance. And I'm glad to hear someone actually saying exactly what is needed. It sounds like all the work is done. It's just that because things are so crippling right now, there is need for help. And that usually comes from Lebanese abroad. Yes. That have the means to help. Mm-hmm. That's how I live off of doing this podcast. And this is how I think a lot of us are dependent. It's Lebanese abroad that are helping this country. Yeah. And they're part of the story. Najat, thank you for sharing an evening with me. Um, I wish you all the best. And I, I'm glad that you're you're patient enough to let me challenge a bit. But you're also robust and, and uh, you find the right words always, I think, to uh, to bring <laughs> me back to my senses. Thank so, Thank you, Roni. It was a nice, beautiful evening. Thank you, Najat. <laughs>